welcome to my podcast. I'm Eve Sturgis, and this is Everything's Relative. I am here talking to people who have had DNA discoveries of one kind or another, and we talk about how they are affected by uh, by the discoveries that, that one or both of their parents are not their actual parent, like not their mom or dad. Um, if you think this sounds unlikely, you might be surprised. How's everybody doing? We're almost to the end of August already. Today, as you listen to this, um, I'm not at home because I am taking Lily with my husband, Kaylin, and we are going to the college dorms. Um, I imagine everyone across the country is sort of in the throes of like first day of school for everyone. Are your social media feeds just flooded with those photos? Um, Monday this week was Dallas's first day of kindergarten. Uh, and so now we're headed to New York City with extra long twin sheets and a shower caddy. And that's what we'll be doing this weekend. While I am eating bagels and probably embarrassing Lily in front of her new roommates, please enjoy this conversation um, that I have for this episode with Cara Rubenstein DeYaren and Elisa Weiss. These two powerhouses um, founded the nonprofit Right to Know. It's based in the state of Washington, but they help MPEs from across the country. They're serving our community in wonderful ways. They continue to grow and make good on behalf of people who experience all types of misattributed parentage. Just fantastic. Uh, but hey, don't take it from me. Listen to what they have to say about it in three Two, one. Today, I am thrilled uh, and humbled to have Cara Rubenstein DeYaren and Alicia Weiss with me uh, on Everything's Relative podcast. They are the founders of the organization called Right to Know, which has been a quickly growing, uh, powerful force in the MPE, NPE community world. Uh, they are doing all sorts of good work. And in fact, if you listened to my episode a few weeks ago with Mendy, uh, towards, you know, two thirds of the way through, we start to talk about how wonderful it would be if there were some resources for NPEs, like a hotline, like um, a place you could find mentors, a place, a place to go. And he said, Right to Know would be a good organization for that. And so then we looked into it. We found out we were way behind. You guys are way ahead of the ball. You have all that. You have those resources, which is so awesome. Um, but, and, but we really want to make sure that, that we talk more about that and, and get all these resources out there. So, so I'm, I'm here with you today. We got, we got on some emails really fast. And, um, and so, so thank you for coming. Hello. Hi, thank you for having us. Um, hello. hello. And so why don't you go ahead because, um, because it's just, well, partly because this is how NPEs connect, but, um, or people, how do you say it? You, how do you say it, Cara? We, so those of you who weren't here before we recorded, which is everybody, um, we were discussing the power of language and the frustration of, of the, the term NPE or MPE, um, because it's an experience. It's not a, so it, it's a verb, not a noun. <laughs> um, well, you so when, you, 
Yeah, when we started Right to Know, um, NPE was was the term that was with an N like Nancy, non-paternal event, which is what's marked on a tree when somebody thinks that the father isn't the father. They write they would write NPE next to it, meaning non-paternal event. And then it sort of morphed into not parent expected, depending on who, who you asked. And a couple of months into Right to Know's inception, we had some of our community reach out to us and say they didn't feel like that term included them. Um, and so we set about asking other community members, mental health professionals, you know, what they thought was the best way to describe people who have a, a misattributed parentage, essentially. And th that term, misattributed parentage, is a mental health term. It's been used for a long time. And so, and, and really the term MPE and NP are not interchangeable. They're different things. MPE, misattributed parentage experience, is like an umbrella and it encompasses three communities, the adoptee community, the assisted conception community, and the NPE community. And we like to use a Venn diagram because it really represents how there are people who identify as an NPE, not parent expected or non-paternal event, and conceived through assisted conception. Um, there's people who just wanna stay in the one bubble and we would never presume to tell somebody how to identify Anybody can identify however they want, but at Right to Know, we really wanted to be inclusive um, and uh, make sure that everybody who um, had a misattributed parentage experience, we use the word, huh? Like a DNA discovery. Yeah, well, it's sort of another way, like but sometimes that. it's not always DNA that tells the, yeah. that reveals yeah. the well, secret, so right? Then there, there's people who know there's some biological parent out there and they tra-la-la through their childhood. And at some point they come out of the fog, which is an adoption term, right? And they may not, not everybody does, some people do. And at that point they're like, wait a minute, there's a bio family hanging out there. Who are they? And when they come to that point, I feel like they go through the same things that somebody who has a DNA surprise, not exactly the same, obviously, but there's, you know, searching, reunion, rejection, who am I, you know, you start having all those same questions. So it's not always a, a an ancestry test. It's right. not always that mom tells you your dad's not your dad. There's so many different ways that we come to this experience. But when we all get there, we do have that spot where our experiences overlap regardless of how we got there and that's what right to know addresses amazing amazing um yeah wonderful i obviously couldn't have said it better myself um because you just said it <laughs> very articulately um so 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 tell me what are, what are your stories? Tell me how you became a part of, became, be, became or discovered that you were a, a part of this umbrella world. That's um, well, I, I, this, I will start. I'm, I uh, am a little bit older into this story. I found out in 2014, like many others, from an over-the-counter DNA test that I was not related to the man that had raised me. It took me four years of sleuthing, and uh, finally I found the found uh, my bio family. I want to mention one aspect of it because I don't want to talk all talk about everything that happened in it. But one of the things that I think about a lot about my story was I was so fortunate. My dad, when I found him, was all over the newspapers. He was uh, a very prominent criminal defense attorney and he also had a medical degree. So he not only was he not a, a lawyer, he was also a doctor. 
But what was most interesting about him was my mother, when I finally had to, you know, my mother's still living, talk to her like about, can you tell me anything you remember about him? She just had a tough time with it. But she says, if you ever find a picture, a canvas picture, he had a picture in his apartment of him, then that, and then you can send that picture to me. I will be able to identify him. I thought that was just crazy. Like, a, you know, how am I ever going to find a picture? So when I finally found my bio family through lots of DNA work uh, from, from genealogists, um, one of the questions I asked who I knew would, when I made the phone call, the phone call to my a brand new half sibling, I asked him by chance, I said, my mother can help to identify my, my father. And he says, by what? And I said, well, would you by chance have a canvas portrait of our dad that he had in his apartment and he goes, oh yeah, I've got that. And my, da my dad passed away now, okay? So he's been gone since 1989. I am like almost about to fall out of my chair. I'm like, are you serious? So literally in the middle of this phone call, he texts me a picture of this canvas portrait of my father. I text my mother, say, mom, is this him? And she texts me back and she goes, yeah, 99%, that's him. 99%. <laughs> There's a one percent chance that there was another man out there with a, with, a, with a portrait of himself. It was just crazy. I mean, that to me, that the fact that that portrait was still available, and I mean, it was. I can't begin to explain what that was like talking to him, making that phone call after months and months and and quite frankly, years, four years. Uh, working up to that point, you know, everybody talks about how, how long it took, what they did. And of course, a lot of people get a quicker answer now because of all the people taking DNA tests. That was not the case for me. Right. My mother was an immigrant. My mother was an immigrant from Germany. So there was no matches to her either. She was a first to come to the, to the United States. And so then there was my dad. I had found out I was 50% Jewish. My mother was not Jewish. So that left me completely only like maybe 2000 uh, Jewish relatives on the ancestry site. So I had nothing to go by. So mm. when I finally got that answer four years later, I mean, I lived in pain. My heart hurt and ached for almost four years until I got my answer. So that's, that's what I wanted to talk about really was uh, how I actually finally made that, that final, you know, you know, where you put the nail up and you go, got my answer. That is so interesting because, because the person I talked to this morning had, had the same thing to say. And I, not everybody says that, but I think, I mean, just because it doesn't necessarily come up, but it's really interesting to have two of you in the same day say it is so painful. The unknown or that empty space can be so painful and, or so hard to carry. Um, and, and that the, 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 finding the answer or confirming what you suspect can be such a powerful feeling. Yes, exactly. I've heard Alicia's story many times, her journey, mm -hmm. and um, I don't know how she did it. I mean, it took me four months to identify who my biological family was, and that four months was a living hell. Mm -hmm. um, you know, everybody, we all have the same things where we can't look in the mirror, we see a stranger, um, cried all the time. You just, you feel like you're walking on wobbly ground. And I, my heart goes out to everybody who doesn't have the answers that they deserve. Cause, cause as we say it right to know, it is a fundamental human right to know your genetic identity. 
and this emotional struggle for those who don't have the answers that they need to begin healing is unbearable, I think almost. So I think that um, every time I hear that, I always think of Alicia going through those years of, of not knowing and, you know, humans are amazing creatures and we can adapt and move forward, but that's still a hard place to be stuck in. It's a hard place. Yeah, yeah it was a, it was a, a very hard time for me. Um, I won't lie. I, I mean, I was, I can tell you, I, I would just, I mean, I'm a praying woman. I would pray and ask for God, please give me an answer. Give me an answer. I don't know. You know, I really thought I would never have my answer, but it's just amazing what the world did. The universe has done for me. I, I think it knew I probably was going to die if I didn't have that answer. And, you know, I'm very, very grateful because we still meet some MPs out there that people that have the same struggles we have that do not find their answer. Most yeah. of them nowadays do though. Most of them do. Feels, yeah, it's, chances are good. Um, yeah, it's also, your story is such an interesting collision of time, um, time and technology that you could, that like the NPE, and I think I'm using it gener in a very general sense, um, so I apologize, but uh, if if it if the overlap is not correct, but like the NPE experience is so much about pre-technology decisions or like pre-computer, pre-internet made decisions, and and then right and then and pre-text messages, <laughs> pre-cell phones, like all these decisions were made before then. But then you could solve it using contemporary technology. But then in the end, the actual confirmation comes from this painting that's very, very old that comes from before all that. Um, Cara should tell you her story. Both of our dads were at least 30 years older than our mothers. And uh, he was in his uh, early fifties. And so, um, you know, it's, it's just so interesting to me. I mean, I, I wish I could, um, I, you know, I think about all the people that have been uh, through these circumstances and, back before 2014 when I found out that did not get their answers because I know a lot of people when we started first doing those tests and um I, I don't know I can't say it any more than that I know Cara Cara which feels the same way we're so happy to have know know who we are mm-hmm mm -hmm. yeah you know having that sense of knowing who you are is hard I mean I I um I feel like I know who I am. I'm 99.9% .9 sure, but since my biological father passed away in 2007 and his only son passed away within nine months of my discovery, I have no DNA, close DNA that I can um, confirm that with. You know, the, the program WADA, what are the odds? You know, says it's 99.9% .9 sure that Sam Rubenstein is my father and not his son, which would make more sense. I always tell people when they're searching, I know you think you know the ages, but don't don't just rely on that because I thought my half brother was my biological father because he's 10 years older than my mother. Sure, that right. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and I look just like him too. So, it, you know, it made sense to me. Um, for me, I, I took a DNA test because I wanted to know where in Africa my family came from. We had chased, traced our ancestry back to three slaves sold in Texas. Uh, and I wanted to take my kids to Africa. And so when I did my DNA test, I, um, 
I was expecting that 50% pie chart and that's what I got, but it just didn't have the right things on it. Um, I have zero African DNA. So it was very obvious to me as soon as I got it um, that my dad couldn't be my dad. I, I mean, I hear stories of people who it gets more confusing when it's not quite such a big shiny, hello, this is mm -hmm. your new truth um, with your results. And I am grateful that when I called my mom, she didn't deny anything. She said, if the DNA says that, then it must be true. So I give my mom credit for having that reaction than what I've heard some um, mothers have. Um, and I, yeah, and I discovered I'm Jewish too. So I had like 10,000 cousins because of endogamy, which did not help me find my um, biological family. I was trying to put all these charts and spreadsheets with these distant cousins and trying to find, it was possible until I had a closer match pop up about three months later. I've really wanted to ask this relation of mine, why, why did you decide to do this test now? Because if he hadn't, I would never have known. I would not have been able to figure it out. I don't have a very big family. A lot of my family was killed in the Holocaust or because my um, biological father was um, 56 and my mom was 18 when I was conceived. You know, I'm a generation skipping. So um, there's just not a lot of people alive. I'm not sure I would have been able to figure it out. I always think there's those little things in life that make, they're small things, but they make such a huge difference. Um, but my family rejected me. He's actually never, I've never talked to him. Um, so I don't, I, I would love to ask that question why he decided to do that. Um, and I found out I'm half Jewish like uh, Alicia. And so I've spent the last three years trying to rebuild my sense of identity mm -hmm. uh, since I've lost that. Uh, well, I've lost my ethnicity you know, and my family, because part of my raising family also rejected me. Um, I'm grateful again that my mom said, yep, it's gotta be, I'll support you. Although it makes her uncomfortable to talk about it, she will. And the man on my birth certificate, um, he was not the nicest man growing up. He was a heroin addict. He was not a father. And we really didn't get to know each other until our late twenties. Um, but the last few years of his life, he was very supportive of my DNA discovery. And um, it's that's actually where the name come from comes from. He Every time I'd go see him, I was caring for him as he was um, passing, as he was dying. And now I'd go see him and he'd say, baby, you have a right to know your identity. Have you found anything out? And he'd be like, you have a right to know. And in all of my rejection and discouragement, he was there sort of as my cheerleader. That's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, That's it was awesome. an space for me because he had never been that person in my life and it had always yeah. been my mother. Um, and so that's where Right to Know comes from, the, the, the name of Right to Know. You know, um, when, I, when I first met Cara, which was, you'll have to tell me, 2017, no, 2018, right, Cara? Uh, I had already known for, for quite a while. I, I mean, I found out in 14 and then I found my family in 17, but... I had be, had already had time, a lot of time to process what was going on. Cara is a different person now. Um, when I met her, she was, and please forgive me, Cara, if I say this, if I'm saying it wrong, uh, that's okay. You just let, you know, let me know. But, and I don't mean it in any bad sense, but she was broken. Hmm. She, she was broken. And I knew what that felt like from 2014 through 16, what it felt like. 
um, we met through doing, uh, telling our stories. We had, we had I, I, I scheduled an event in Seattle and we had, I don't know, about 65 people there. And I got to know a lot of NPEs uh, through work I was doing. I was working, uh, helping with uh, others with organizing events. And this was a big event that I decided I wanted to do. And um, I asked Cara to come speak at it. She was one of our, we had, uh, I don't know, about four people that told their stories. Um, and it was, it was a, an amazing evening we had. And when she told her story, it, it just, it was just, I don't know how to explain it, but when you're in a room with 65 other NPs, we know what it's like to be together in a supportive, uh, supportive, you know, this was prior to COVID. So we're all just, it, it was amazing to be able to be together. And I think in some ways, I, I think being able to tell your story is healing. I'm sure you could speak to that Eve, but after that, I believe um, not only um, Cara, but myself and many that were in that room, were beginning a journey, a new journey in healing. Yeah, I think, you know, Alicia and I have been asked this question, like what helps? And we always say time. And I mean, it took me nine months to be able to say my biological father's name out loud without choking on the word in my throat, like, because there's so much emotion tied with who this new person is in your life and how you're connected to them, how you want to be connected to them, how you don't want to be connected and whatever it may be, how you're trying to figure that out. Um, it took me nine months to be able to say his name out loud without having any sort of hesitation or emotional response to it. And um, I would say it took takes about three years before you get to the place where you can talk about your journey without tripping up over some of the emotional things. Although, as I like to say, it comes up at the weirdest times. I was watching a TV show today and they were two siblings hugging and I was like, oh. <laughs> I, I wanted a sibling. <laughs> yep. You um, never, yeah. You never know when those feelings are going to yeah, exactly. bubble up. Yeah. Come and go. And you just have to ride that wave. You have to get used to the idea that this might hit me sometime and I just need to, to go with it and kind of surrender for a little while. And then, okay, I'm ready to go back to my calm waters again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think three years is a good, is a good number. It yeah. was, it was the same number. She and I were talking about it. We were like, we were saying to each other, what do you think? And we both said three years almost at the same time. Mm -hmm. It just seems like a, a enough time goes by then and you are, you know, you're able to, I don't know, process it. Um, it's, a, it's a big event, just like going through, I mean, it's probably the biggest event I've ever gone through, but like a divorce or a really serious illness. Um, you know, these are, this is a life stressor that should be actually on its own plane. I mean, it's so bad when you find mm -hmm. this out. So after we did this, um, she asked me to speak there. Uh, I got invited to do an interview with a local TV station on um, DNA surprises. And I wanted to make sure we had a, a good representation in that interview. So we brought, we invited somebody we knew who was conceived through assisted conception and someone who was adopted. Uh, and we all went to dinner afterwards. And it was there that we were talking about, gosh, we need somebody to talk to. And and, you know, I'm very much interested in changing my birth certificate, which is something we can talk about later too, if you want. Um, but, and I was looking at the laws in Washington state about that. And I'm a non-practicing attorney. And um, I was reading about uh, those conceived with assisted conception. It says right in the 
modern, we have the most modern family law in Washington state. Um, and it says that there's no, they're not allowed to ever have their um, gamete provider on their birth certificate, period. And I just thought, wow, that's a second class citizenship right there. They've been delegated. Um, they have no rights. That's not fair. And as we talked more at dinner, we realized we needed uh, an organization that could advocate for people with misattributed parentage experiences um, because we need help. We need help mentally. We need help finding our family. We need help changing the laws so the next generation has access to their genetic identity. Um, and we, I mean, there's so many aspects of how we can help each other. And so that's, that's how Right to Know was created. It was an amazing, amazing when we were working on, I mean, when I look back on that, it doesn't even seem like it was that long ago, yet here we are almost two years into um, Right to Know being mm -hmm. a, you know, we, we created our nonprofit two years ago. It, it's just, it's unbelievable. And what has, what has happened in those two years, I can't even begin to, I, it's, it's, a, it's an extraordinary experience that we are having, uh, helping others and being the emotional support group and community for so many, you know, I, I'm so grateful there are many out there and because we need to be able to have uh, a place where we can go to and um, speak freely. Um, it's comforting when we talk to people that are going through the same problems we are, it's good to have their friendship. Um, it, it's it's a rich it's a rich experience. It's not where none of us want. Most of us do not want to be here in in this situation. But it's such a rich and experience to be with others that are going through uh, our our same stories. You know. So we have a hotline number three two three talk MPE, and that's where we have people. We send people there to call us, like if you just have a discovery. But as we said in the beginning, it's not just about that and the breadth of what. Of, of misattributed parentage and all the different people that this covers. You know, we get phone calls from um, family, you know, biological mm -hmm. family. It's not just the person who has the DNA surprise. Um, so we, it's a variety of people who reach out to us. Some of them are very fresh in their news um, and some of them have been at it for a few years. And, um, you know, they're looking, we can pair somebody with a mentor. So we'll talk to them and find out what their experiences is like if they were conceived through assisted conception through a, a gamete provider like a sperm um, person then we will find somebody who's gone through that process and can you know be there to listen to them and and guide them for a little while um, if they need help finding their biological family we can help with that too we can also help we have a list of licensed uh, therapists who have experience helping people with misattributed parentage and if we don't have somebody on that list, we will find somebody in that person's state to make sure they can have access uh, to, to licensed therapy, therapy because that's so important. I saw a therapist, Alicia saw a therapist. We need help in processing this huge thing, this huge experience. And again, you know, we were talking about event versus experience, you know, an event happens to you, whereas an experience is something you're gonna continue to deal with. And that's mm -hmm. why we like the word experience because we do continue to deal with this for the rest of our lives and we need the tools to be able to do that. So a licensed therapist is a great place to start with that. Eve, I want to tell you a little bit about our mentors. Um, about seven or eight months ago, when we began the mentorship, we decided to uh, 
have a class for folks that would be interested. Most of our mentors are professionals, nurses, RNs, LPNs. We have a, some social workers. We have care providers. We have people, and they're all MPEs. They, all, they are all living with the MPE. So they get it. And so when we get those calls, we, are, we know we're setting them up with somebody that we've done training. We've actually done training and we're going to do another training session uh, probably within the next month and a half to two months because we are, we're getting more and more phone calls and people needing help. Um, you know, I'm really proud of what, what, when I, what I do is I reach out to those mentors after they've been in discussion and talking to people. Um, I say, how's it going? And I have heard just, I, it's, it's been so beautiful what has happened. I hear it from the side of the person getting this mentorship and then the, the mentee or the, and the mentor, both sides. And I make sure that the relationship is doing what it's supposed to do. And we always work the end, in the end deal for each person is that they, if they want a therapist, we're going to find them a therapist in their state. That's the end deal because a mentor is not a therapist and not a licensed therapist. And Eve, that's probably for us, the most vital thing that we want to make sure that people get that they understand at the end of the day, that's who they need to go to, to get in a deeper healing that you, we can't do the healing alone with something so, so big as this, but to get deep healing, we, you need to go to somebody that knows their stuff. You know, that reminds me of somebody who reached out on the hotline, Alicia, who said she needed 100%. She needed to know 100% that this man was her biological father. And, and it's some, as an MP, as someone with an MPE, you just can't always get that. I will never have that. Like, I can, I can have a, a professional genealogist, a genetic genealogist, you know, run all the numbers and do all the statistics and everything else, but I will never be 100%. Uh, it's an interesting uh, idea trying to find closure when there can't be 100% closure. Um, and we don't only deal with the, the person with an MP. We may have circumstances that we deal with a totally unique situation. The first one I wanna talk about is a gentleman and I'm gonna change his name, Jeff. Uh, Jeff was referred to uh, Right to Know. Um, I actually took the intake on that uh, message and uh, we he and I had a conversation he was told by a woman that was the sib sister sibling to a uh, a lady that had passed away uh, that her daughter was his daughter well she was gone and this was a sister calling right tell, telling him telling Jeff so Jeff did not know what to do with this information so he was he was too scared to try to make contact with the daughter who's now in her late 20s and um he reached out to us for for a guidance in the in the in, in the interim of that um he wanted us to sort of mediate that so we did we were able to contact this person it took a, a two three weeks um had a decent conversation with that person and the only thing that jeff wanted was for her to take a dna test in talking with her, we found out that she was also, her mother had passed away and was adopted. So her only, she said, wow, I could do a DNA test and I'd be able to find out who my grandparents are too. And I went, yeah, that's true. And so she goes, I'm gonna have to get back with you. I don't know yet what I wanna do. It took her a few days and she got back with us and she made a decision 
that she was not ready to do the DNA test. Hmm. It was heartbreaking for Jeff, but he did all he could do. He was, he's now at peace, even though he didn't get the, the, the answer he wanted for her to take the test now, he's at peace because he was in a mental state of like, I need to know if this is my daughter. I need to know this answer. And when he realized that she wasn't ready for that, then he was able to say, okay, I did what I needed to do and I can go on. So that's the tough one. I just didn't breathe through that entire story. Yeah. Wow. And she may change her mind later. Right. You know, she may decide. It's still happening. Right. It's still happening. Like you were saying, the experience is still going on. It's still happening. The point I'm trying to to make with with this, Eve, is that Regina is starting not only to help the children, us grown children out, but we're also being, people are hearing about us from other parts of everywhere across the country needing help. Um, Another call that uh, we received was a woman who had um, reached out to us before, had a brand new match and it was a half sibling. And I, I actually took that call too. And in that particular circumstance, she was so frightened. Her mother had died during COVID. Her mother was 94 years old. It was oh. showing up on her mother's side and she didn't know what to do. So she also asked for some mediation. And the good news in this story was the they had the family had decided to do a memorial for um for the mother and when we were able to get the two of these together it was an older son that had been born that she had never told any of her other family and this older son thought his mother was gone all these years and she lived up to last year and she was in her 90s he's in his early 70s Wow. Well, we were able to, he wanted, she was, she wanted to meet him and he wanted to meet her. And so when they met over a telephone call, he found out he had nine sisters and brothers and he found out, he found out that they were, that she had passed obviously, but they were having a memorial for her and that he was invited to it. That happened this past weekend and they all got to meet their brand new brother. Who's older, the oldest brother of the family. The oldest, right? And it was an emotional, I can't even begin to tell you. Um, he has uh, two beautiful daughters. They all drove with his wife, uh, really a, a, about a thousand miles to get to this memorial and meet all this family for the very first time. So we never know what the story's going to do, right. what DNA is going to bring out and, and how people, when it's so, when it's raw and just right near to your heart, you know, sometimes you need others people to help you get through that. Yeah. I think, I think what the, the, uh, the thing in common between so many of these is the overwhelm, right? Like people, they come, they come to you overwhelmed. And when we are overwhelmed, we, uh, it is so helpful to have someone say, I know what to do here's some steps. Here's a step. But even if the next step is we're going to take 24 hours, you're going to drink some water. We're going to breathe. Like this is going to be okay. That might be the next step for you. Um, but to just, uh, we get, I think we, as people, humans get so being overwhelmed or flooded, which is, you know, which kind of is the trauma in itself. Um, it's so, uh, it's so debilitating, <laughs> right? And um, gui- guidance is is exactly the thing. You know, and the, and the reverberations of such a discovery or learning about these different sort of 
parentage experiences, it, it just affects so many different aspects. And I think people forget about that too. Um, it's, it is the offspring, we struggle too, but there is the family that raised you. And then there's the biological family that you're reaching out to. And it's not always that close. I mean, one of the people who reached out to us, she didn't have a misattributed parentage, but she learned that her deceased father had had a misattributed parentage. And so she was struggling with that and what that meant to her, you know, and, and so these things just can occur in any, you know, was it six degrees right. of separation, right? There's so many different ways that that trauma or that feeling of being overwhelmed can happen from all the different players in this incredibly complex situation. Incredibly complex. Under, well, underappreciated how complex. A lot of the phone calls lead to lots of legal questions and mm -hmm. people needing help with just the genetics, genealogy, finding phone numbers. I've had people call me, can you help me with any of that kind of stuff? We try to do all we can to help people reach out and contact their family. Um, some of the questions that come out, you know, come in are, are we do have a legislative portion, as you know, that we try gonna to ask you on. about that. Yeah. And, and there are some of those are like legal questions about I really want to change my birth certificate or I want to change my children's, you know, or whatever. They want to do something that I cannot help them with. And so I'll lead them to uh, Cara to talk to, you know, she'll talk to them and give them the guidance they need. You know, we can give them information. We can, you know, we're, we do what we can. And I think Cara, you can speak to that about what we've done. Yeah. I mean, usually questions are either centered around the legal questions are centered around three things, advocacy, changing my name or changing my birth certificate. Um, or I guess for, if you're access to my information, like what am I entitled mm -hmm. to legally? Um, you know, changing your name, I always say is relatively easy. It's, uh, you can change your name. And once you change your name, you can change your name on your birth certificate. Um, I do know sometimes in the South, if you're male, it can be hard to change your last name because men aren't supposed to do that. And you're supposed to have the family line. Um, but if you're saying you're changing your name because you want to have your true family line, there seems to be success with that. It's usually under $300, depends on which, where you are. You change your name in the county in which you reside. Um, and you can, if you just search name change in your county, you'll be able to find an online form. It's a relatively simple process. And then of course you have to change all the other right. information. It can be a little overwhelming. I did have somebody say, well, this attorney wants $2,000. Well, the reason they want that much money is they're helping mm -hmm. you with your social security, your banking account, your driver's license. Tedious. It's tedious, but it's not difficult. It's <laughs> no. And I went through it. I added my um, biological father's last name to my last name. I, help, I felt that I needed that as part of my healing process. Um, just to confirm, I mean, some days I wake up and I'm like, mm -hmm. who am I? And so I need that uh, for me personally, but everybody has their own path to healing. Then the birth certificate is a really complicated question um, for so many reasons. You know, for all of us, I think the answer is no. If you're um, generally, it's it's almost impossible, regardless which community you're coming from, from your misattributed parentage experience, adopted, assisted conception, or a non-paternal event. Um, I do, there was a woman in Texas, she was able to change her birth certificate um, relatively easily. 
if every party is still alive and they all agree. So if man on the birth certificate, new father, mother, and offspring, all four agree, then you can easily change it. Um, like in my case, because he's deceased, it's very difficult because this is a court proceeding and you have to have somebody you're you're against in court, right? <laughs> right. So who who's the opposing person <laughs> when the person is deceased? And in, and for my biological father, everyone's deceased. All of his personal representatives from his estate are deceased. So then it it just it becomes more. There's not a process for this. And you know, Alicia's heard me say this a million times. The birth certificate issue is really complicated because we have the legal reason we have birth certificates which is who is financially responsible for a child. And that's all the law cares about. Um, that's why you see a lot of statute of limitations for changing your birth certificate at age 22 when you graduate from college, right? Because nobody cares who's responsible for you then, you're responsible for you. Uh, we've had people who want to try to do some legislative action to change that statute of limitations. So, you know, one guy, he brought all of his information, one gentleman to the court and the court said, we would love to change your birth certificate. But it says in this state at age 22, you can't, after 22, you can't. So he's trying to get that law amended, um, which is, you know, why birth certificates are complicated. And then, um, you know, do I have legal access to my information? And unfortunately right now, the answer to that is no, you have no legal right to that information. Um, you are, I, mean, I was surprised we do webinars. So each month we do an educational webinar on various topics associated with misattributed parentage. And Alicia organized this great one on genetic mm -hmm. counselors and what they do. And I was really surprised to learn in that, that half of genetic counseling is your oral family history. Yes, we walk around with our genes in us so we can know if we have the BRCA gene or not, but what those genetic counselors need to know is did grandma mm -hmm. get cancer? And without that information, it's only half the story and they can't really help you figure out what you need to be focusing on. And so that is definitely an area where we need legal work completely. And and where Right to Know has started focusing is really on laws associated with um, the fertility mm -hmm. industry. Um, the fertility industry is the wild west. Most people are shocked to learn that the only legal requirements right now is um, sexually transmitted disease testing of gamete providers. That's it. There's nothing else. There's no genetic testing required. There's no way to know if you have other siblings out there. Um, we have hundreds of stories of people conceived through assisted conception who grew up with their siblings and dated. And, you know, there's, I mean, you can imagine all the trauma associated with that and what happens if, if mm -hmm. it went any further than that. Um, and then the problem really in the industry is there's, since there's no regulation, fertility industry, you know, the companies are out to make money and they're cutting corners. And so people are affected by right. we're making humans, right? So cutting that corner is, is an issue. We just had a lady reach out on the hotline who I talked to. She grew up knowing she was conceived through assisted conception. Her mom said, here's your six pages. When she got older, she grew up with age appropriate information. Mm -hmm. But as she got older, her mom said, here's the six pages I have on your uh, gamete provider. He was French and Italian. And so she grew up 
knowing that. And she came out of the fog at 19 and thought, I want to know more about my biological father. So she did a DNA test and bam, she's half Jewish. Um, I have a little side thing about why I think all these people are learning they're half Jewish. I, I think that <laughs> crazy. <laughs> the Jewish men were going, were in medical school at a higher rate yeah. at that time. And they were asked to donate and there isn't really any religious reason why they couldn't or shouldn't. So I think there was a higher propensity for Jewish men to be providing sperm uh, at that time because they did solicit from medical students. But so she, she went on, you know, there's a private registry, which some people don't like, um, where you can put in your, um, for a fee, you can put in your gamete provider's number and see, and the clinic and see if you have any siblings. And she found three other siblings with her um, gamete provider's number. I'm just going to say mm -hmm. 9,000. And all of them tested and none of them were Italian, <laughs> none of them were Italian French. or French. They were all from this Jewish uh, gentleman who was donor 8,000. And they reached out to all the siblings of donor 8,000. They are all half siblings. And, I, you know, the question is, did the uh, clinic intentionally do that because they thought maybe somebody wouldn't want a Jewish donor. So they made up a fake profile. That's I don't know. Point. I never thought about that, Cara. Wow. Well, yeah. It, I actually think that's what happened, you know, and we have cases where uh, a couple, a heterosexual couple will go in because they're having fertility in, uh, problems and the man will provide sperm for his wife. And then, you know, fast forward, and there's some random children out there because the fertility clinic parsed up that sperm provision. The wife got pregnant, but they also used the rest. That would be so wild to discover as a yeah as an adult. I mean, I just can't even imagine. So I just I regulation mm -hmm. is so needed in yeah. this area. And right now is building relationships with these legislators um, as we go. Um, we're proposing fertility fraud legislation in a number of states, and we have a broad definition of fraud. I mean, many people know about the cases where the fertility doctors use mm -hmm. their own sperm, which is horrific. Um, and it is an issue that it doesn't matter your race, ethnicity, um, socioeconomic background, Democrat, Republican, everyone goes gross. Um, but we need to harness that um, that gross and try to get these other cases of fraud made illegal as well and make it easy for the be, there to be civil causes of action. So there can be some big awards to hopefully, you know, whack the fertility industry a little bit into better regulating themselves. It's very hard to pass legislation on the fertility industry because they have such big lobbyists. Um, there was a an effort in Florida to actually include some regulation as part of the fertility fraud legislation. And it totally got gutted before it was uh, the fertility lobbyists. Uh, it, that yes. is a club I never thought about. <laughs> Tobacco, uh, guns, yeah, ultimately sperm. For me, fertility. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I mean, that wow. is right. And for me, for me, ultimately, I want to get to a point, and I, this is like my five, 10 year goal. It's a long-term goal where on our, we have a long form birth certificate that has genetic mother, genetic father, parent, one, two, three, four, whoever's legally responsible and surrogate. And uh, that you have access to that when you turn 18, period. You know, However you one, were created. One of the things, and I, I think that's really vital. And you touched on this with the lobbyists 
we are grassroots. What we do mm -hmm. is one-on-one -on -one conversations with folks that have been impacted by this. They wake up, they've done a fun DNA test and they find out this, that, this unbelievable story that they are a donor conceived. They look at their, their matches and all of a sudden they, they're just in shock. They're like, they have 25 half siblings. And it's like, how do you make sense of all that? And then the rage and the anger comes. And we are speaking to people that have dealt with that and the emotions involved with that. We take a lot of time with them and we ask them, help us out. We need to talk with your political people. You need to help us make those calls. And we have had several you know, positive uh, turnouts with that, with our, the people that have reached out to us. And it's, you know, it's gonna be, as Cara said, a long road, but um, I'm really excited for the next couple of years because I think we're gonna see some real change. I think so too. I think everyone just has to realize it takes time. Law, they refer to lawmaking as sausage making. There's a reason for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I actually think, I mean, I think I've known, of, I, I remember when you, uh, I, I don't know, it was, I mean, I don't even think it was in, in like a formal announcement, but I remember when Right to Know was being formed or, or had been formed. And it feels like even since then, you've had, you've made impact. Like, the, the, like, like, like the dents are being made. Uh. I, I, you know, when I talk to people conceived through assisted conception, there's a lot of feeling of uh, loneliness and disheartenedness, mm -hmm. and nobody understands. But I want to explain to them that every time we reach out to a legislator and talk to them, they're shocked that this occurs. I mean, education is so key, and they want to do more. They want to pass fertility fraud legislation, but they want more too. Is it, when they find out about these things that are occurring that they had no idea that there isn't a limit on the number of live births in the United States, or um, there isn't um, a, a sibling registry, or there isn't a way to access your genetic identity. And so I, I know a lot of them tell me when I say the legislators are there, they want to come and do this, it raises their spirits a little bit because hearing that yes, once people are made aware of these things, they want to do it. They want to make sure that that we do it right. Right. There's a difference between indifference and ignorance, right? P like no, uh, it, it, people just don't know. My favorite legislator story is in Iowa with a person we were working with there, and she's like, "Well, I I breed cattle, and I would if I ordered uh, sperm from a specific you know stud, there would be consequences if I didn't get it. I mean, I I would be." There's no way she was like, my mind would be blown if anybody ever got the wrong thing. And all the time so when we're making. Yes. Yes. Every it's time wrong. I talk about it, my mind is reblown. Like every time. Yeah. yeah, this is something that is, I know there's a, a, a good donors conceived community that listens to you, Eve. And, I, and it's not only the DC community, but those of you out there that have a, a misattributed parentage, uh, late discovery adoptee, or uh, as myself, not parent expected, a non-paternal event with my situation. But I would say, if you want to do some really good work, please reach out to Right to Know on our hotline or email us at info at, at righttoknow.us. We need volunteers. We need, we, we're grassroots. And we had those phone calls that need to be made. And if people can do it from their own homes, which is what we've had a lot of people do to get, uh, get this all in the door, 
uh, we're talking about a lot of there's we got many states that we need to talk with and we're just beginning to open those doors we've had you know we've even had uh, our bill our bills have been getting introduced in these states but it's takes a very long time you have a lot of people you have to talk to I have people wanting us to be in other states. I'm like, I don't know. We have enough volunteers to go beyond mm -hmm. that. We're in six or seven right. states right now. And, you know, that's, there's a limit with manpower, uh, I just, people yeah. power. You're, so, I just want to say this to your, your listeners. Your golden opportunity is right now. So if you want to help us, we will take you. We need, we need people in different states that, hey, they have a little bit of time. If you're retired or whatever, you feel like you can make some phone calls for us. We need you because this is a really important thing. Yeah, and if yeah, oh, oh. you you go, you go, Cara, you go. I was just say the lady in Oregon. It was a person who was not parent expected who was. Uh, um, I think it was Oregon. I mean, it doesn't have to be someone right. conceived through assisted parent conception. There, it was a recipient parent of yeah, a donor. It can be anybody mm -hmm. making those calls to their legislators. Alicia and I are not conceived through assisted conception. We make right. those calls to, to legislators in Washington. We need people in the state making yeah, those calls. I, the, well, and like yeah. most, you don't have to be of the, you don't have to be of the identifier of the, of the cause, <laughs> right? Like, no, 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 you don't, no, 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 no. I was going to say, I was just going to pitch, uh, throw another layer on there just, just for volunteering um, in some way and or connecting with right to know how, however you do um, just in the healing power of being of service can feel so good. Um, That's true. Right. And, um, and I, I really think there's something to be said about, about a, there is a healing power to being of service and, and connecting with people in a, in a way and feeling like you've, you've got a purpose to it. Um, Yeah, we say turning your um, yeah, pain into there we power. Go. Yeah, and I think, you know, for those who people feel a lot of fulfillment, who are mentors, if anybody mm -hmm. wants to volunteer to do that, Absolutely. you know, reach out. Um, uh, and, and making a phone call or sending an email, um, it, it feels good to know that you're at least, it gives you a little yeah. sense of power to know that you are, you can do something and you, you can try to make a difference. And you know, every little thing makes a difference in somebody's life. I, you know, I want to get back to our, our, our mentorship, our buddy network. Mm -hmm. To me, um, that has been so extraordinarily rich. And, um, you know, when we set that up several months ago, I, I never knew that what, what was going to happen with it, but I guess I did. I knew what the power of the human spirit is, but it just, it brings like just tears to my eyes from some of the stories I've heard where people have you know, spoken. I mean, these are not, these are not my stories. These are stories between other people that are helping us to help others heal. And, you know, that is where the change comes. That's the most powerful thing, what human beings can do for other people to help each other out. Uh, but we don't have, you know, if you want to have somebody that gets it, talk to somebody that knows the walk has been mm -hmm. doing this walk. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I can only speak from experience of how um, intense the isolation feels in, in, when you're in the middle of the, whatever you want to call it, the discovery, the revelation, the information, the ice, to me, the isolation was profound. Um, 
Well, you said overwhelming, and I think that's so apropos, mm-hmm. that overwhelming time period where you're, I mean, that isolation. And I mean, that's the thing. They want everybody to know they are not alone. What they're feeling is not unusual. It, it, we all have those feelings um, and you are not alone. I mean, we also do a community and connection event for free with a licensed therapist each month for about an hour, an hour and a half where there's a certain topic we'll talk about where people can come on and share their experiences um, and how they're feeling uh, with the guidance of, of the licensed therapist. And I, I've, I've really been humbled by listening to that. And I, you know, even after three years, when I go, I'm still <laughs> processing and learning. Um, so I think that's also another way having that, um, connectivity with other people. I don't spend as much time on the phones with people as Alicia does. I'm more in the legislative side of things, but if I am reaching out to a fellow MPE, I'm always surprised at how much better I feel when I get off the phone. Cause I've been talking about something that I didn't realize is bothering me. And then the other person's like, Oh, that's me too. And I'm like, Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> so I think that 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 continued connectivity, you know, I want to say to people, we're all on Facebook, we have those support groups on Facebook, which are great, but PM the person whose posts you've really been yeah. enjoying, get their phone number, give that person a phone Absolutely. call. I get so much joy from that. I just did that the other day with somebody and I just, it was lovely to chat. And I think we need that, that um, voice connectivity just as much as the, the posting. There are different mm-hmm. ways of processing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I encourage everybody to, to take a moment and reach out. You know, if, if, I, if you don't mind me also sending, just giving out some resources um, yeah. that we use on a regular basis. Um, we partner with these folks. Of course, most people know Severance Magazine. Um, we partner with the, the editor of that who has done an absolutely fabulous job. Thank you, Ms. Jackson, for what you do for our community. It's amazing. Um, we also... Wait, I'm going to pause one second before you move away from Kate. She has the best resources. Ms. Jackson has the best resources of any website I've seen by community, um, articles, all sorts of, you know, Facebook groups, podcasts, everything that you might need. She's yeah, got it listed I, there. I, I, there's nothing like it in, in any of our communities. Um, the other group that we partner very strongly with is DNA Angels, and that was created by uh, Laura Holmes Olmstead. I'm so, Laura, I'm sorry if I'm saying your name wrong, but what she has created over there with her community and her nonprofit is absolutely amazing. The amount of cases now, I think it's in the thousands that she has uh, solved. And we, we have made phone calls to her when we've had a referral to us and we set her up, set somebody up with one of her angels and I'll get a call back like in 24, 48 hours later, like the, call, the case is solved. And I'm like, <laughs> what? I'm like four years it took me, damn it. And you're solving your cases in 24 hours. No, so people, it's, people it's can, it's next level. You know, the other big organization we were partnering with now is also really amazing. Uh, we are donor conceived. Um, Aaron Jackson runs that group and what they're doing over there with the amount of uh, she, the resources she has. She's an amazing speaker. I heard her speak at NYU um, Aaron is, uh, she's a force to be reckoned with in the, in the donor conceived community. And one, a new partner that we've actually got, which I'm really excited about is, uh, Marcy, uh, Marcy Knightley. Am I saying her name right over Marcy Keithley? I think, I don't know if I'm saying her name right, but she's with a national association 
of adoptees and parents. That is oh. an incredible person to get to know. We, we have a lot to learn from the, uh, and we are learning from the adoption community. What I have gotten from them is they are so excited that we've come along because they have not been able to move legislation, do some of the things that they've been wanting to do for 20, 30 years. And they've seen what we're doing and they are so super excited. And it's so exciting to have somebody like Marcy. Um, we have a wonderful mental health panel too that we have um, um, folks there that are also late discovery adoptees and all, NPEs too. You know, they had this mm -hmm. double double uh, identification that they go by. So um, it, it's unbelievable. I mean, we're all really need to be community, work together um, and make sure that we're, we have each other's back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, United, our voices are much stronger. And I will say the um, Marcy's group has an amazing happy hour on Fridays um, that is fun to attend. They have different speakers every Friday and some of them are phenomenal um, on, on their different areas, you know, across the spectrum that we can all learn from. I mean, I think as I've dived into this world, I've learned so many different things. I mean, I was watching a TV show, <clears throat> This Is Us, and they were talking about the ghost kingdom. Mm -hmm. like, ghost what? <laughs> that episode and, got and so much as talking. As they were describing it, I was like, oh, that's me. I know that feeling. And, you know, uh, the fog, the ghost kingdom, genetic mirroring. There's all these things that the adoption community has been grappling with because of their, um, you know, being adopted, the trauma associated with that. And so they have trailblazed for us. And we are so excited to be partnering with, with um, NAP and with We Are Donor Conceived because Alicia and I firmly believe that we need to be mm -hmm. united as a community. Um, and, you know, they think statistics are hard there's not a lot of surveys out there, but one in 20, I think one in 20 people have a misattributed parentage experience. So that's 16.6 million people. It's a lot of DNA tests that are coming up with people who are mm -hmm. gonna have trauma, who are gonna need help. And we need to band together to help those people with their new discoveries uh, to ensure no one feels alone and everybody has what they need to process such a difficult uh, experience. Yeah, I think what you're doing is so powerful and it's so um, inspired. It's so inspiring is the word I like. I want a different word, but inspiring or it feels well, really good. Feels yeah. Empowering. empowering. Like I feel really good wow. listening to you. Um, I, yeah, like I it's so wonderful that to also to for me to know that there's people in the community that see what's needed and then are doing something about it, right? And then also you're so accessible and you're inviting people and you're, you're addressing all these different, you're addressing these needs that are all related, but they have to do with our personal connection and legislative branch. It's just, um, it, it, it almost sounds it almost sounds too big, but but you you you're managing to do it with grace, and um, it it is so cool. We're so lucky to have you. Thank you. It's daunting. We're that's why we probably are plugging the, the need for volunteers because we're just human. We're, I'm gonna say it because you're not. Um, we also need donations too. Yeah, donations. <laughs> good at that we're really suck at asking for money but um you know this all this stuff yeah you know what yeah. if we could 
make a little bit of money and be able to hire somebody that would be pretty amazing to help us with all the like there's so much even just the mm-hmm. fees oh i mean just running telephones and um websites and just all of that stuff there's right. fees associated with everything so um and and so far through you know we have one lady she donates to us ten dollars a month and i love it i mean that's you know, it's what she can do. And every time I see her $10 donation come in, it just, it, it warms my heart because yeah, she's doing what she can do. We've had big donations too. Um, and everything is, is amazing. And we have been run thus far on donations, although we are a um, semi-finalist for a grant with BECU's People Helping People grant. And so that could help if we move down that process. We'll know in October about that. Um, so yeah, there's we can always use donations and Alicia and I are yeah. trying to get better at remembering. <laughs> you know, Eve, <laughs> Eve, I, I don't know, you know, when you go see a therapist, it it's expensive. We yeah. all know that. But when we make take phone calls in and we intake and do the work involved with that, um, that is expensive too. It's absolutely a lot of time. time time is expensive. And I hope those out there that can give to our, our nonprofit will consider us because we are, I think we're doing some really extraordinary work and it's, it's, I see, I'm seeing, we're talking about results. We're seeing the results. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we see where the results every day with somebody who's um, just thrilled to have had somebody to talk to, thrilled to find their biological father, thrilled to get an answer, even if it's not the answer that they wanted, thrilled to have a direction or a path to follow. Um, and we hope to bring all this together with a summit and next year with the organizations that we partner with. Um, we're planning that, so everybody should stay tuned. We will announce when we have dates and where in the United States we're gonna do it, um, but we are gonna do it next year and it should be amazing a place to share and learn together. Cool, I want to come. I hope you do because I, I have some oh. for you too. <laughs> Okay, cool. Let me know where to be. That sounds so fun. Um, yeah. Yeah, this has just been so wonderful. So so I'm going to put all the information up, of course, on, uh, on Everything's Relative podcasts, social media. I'm going to make sure it's up there, but um, I just want to repeat. And of course, I will also record an intro and an outro to this, but we want to really emphasize to encourage people to go to righttoknow.us. And that is where all the information will be. Um, and you are available as mentors. Uh, and you're also, you are trying to help people connect. It's like community, mental health, and legislation, right? Those are sort of your three pillars. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just so awesome. And you were talking about feeling better when you connect with someone on the phone um, and, and how the Facebook book, the Facebook, most of the support groups are through Facebook. Um, Support groups are great and they do feel good. And that is one level of healing, but I have to say that every time I connect with people, the, the podcast provides this like platform for me to do it. But right now I, I mean, I can't like the feeling I have in my body there's just nothing like it. And it's something, you know, it's a little bit of joy and it's a little bit of peace and it's a little bit of healing. Like it's all these feelings that I only get when I talk with people. So you're I think, helping... it, I think it helps us to get control of what we're dealing with. Hmm. Because when we're only in with our only ourselves, 
we're not in control as much. But when we hear ourselves as, as a community, it, it, it gives us a little bit of, um, you know, you're looking at somebody that looks different than you, but you're looking at, like at the mirror at mm -hmm. somebody else that's going through the same thing. And then it's like, hey, they're making it, I'm gonna make it. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Well, thank you so much. This was really, I'm like exhausted because I was <laughs> like exhausted from feeling so good. Thank you again to Alicia and Kara for spending some time with me. Uh, thank you ladies for being willing to step up and take action where action is needed for all of us who need support as NPEs, as late discovery adoptees, as donor conceived individuals and all the people affected by the twisting and sh shocking natures of our discovery. Please, everyone listening today, please go to writetoknow.us for all the things about them. That's where you will find the hotline to be connected with a listener and a mentor. It's where you can get news about events. And it's also where you can find out about volunteering in myriad ways. And of course, it's also where you can find links to donate. They are a 501CE nonprofit organization, which means you can write your donation off. And who doesn't love a tax write-off? If you're looking for all sorts of ways to get rid of all your money, uh, you can also support this podcast by going to our Patreon. You can also support us by making sure you're subscribed, giving this podcast a review on whichever platform you listen to. Uh, follow me on social media at Everything's Relative Podcast. And if you have a story to tell, a comment or a question, a concern, a joke, send me a note. My email is eve at everythingsrelativepodcast.com. I'll be back soon. In the meantime, have a nice weekend. Wear your life jacket. Push your chair in when you leave the table. Please say excuse me when you burp. I'm Eve Sturgis, and this is Everything's Relative. Bye-bye. Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis is produced by Kayla Egan and Eve Sturgis. Eve is a licensed therapist in the state of California, but conversations on this podcast are not therapy sessions. This podcast is edited by Stephanie Dillon Zick. The logo design is by Ivy McNally, and the music is used with permission by Goodbye the Band. Imagine a podcast. Now, imagine a musical. Now, imagine the two of them made one million babies. Well, you don't have to imagine it because it's real and it has a name. One million musicals. Each month, we bring you a brand new original podcast musical featuring talent from across Broadway, films, and TV. You'll hear tales of spooky ghosts, Wild West shootouts, adventures on the high seas, and much, much more. One million musicals. Only a few hundred thousand to go. A Campfire Media Podcast. Campfire.